pitch on that first. Nice vibrato going with that. That's awesome, Brennan. Good job. And the doublets, awesome, very good. Okay, remain seated. Let's go to Acts 13. We're going to be all through Acts in some points, but I gave you the printout that included several of the verses. My daughters probably gave you two or three or four printouts by the time they got around the circle, and so did Anissa helped out passing those. Appreciated that very much. But Acts 13, I might just read the last few verses of that chapter and then, and then head into this. You can also turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll close the sermon out completely with just basically just reading that text and, um, and then that'll be it. So 2 Corinthians 4 we'll get to just at the very end. So you can turn there. But Acts 13 is what we can start with. I've, I've been on a, um, a reading plan, a Bible reading schedule this year, kind of a 90-day through the Bible schedule, and so it is a huge chunk of reading every day, and it's a, a, a huge portions of Scripture that you just fly through. I don't recommend it for everybody. It's just a, a sort of tactic that doesn't make you more or less spiritual. I'm missing out on the meditation side of Scripture reading because I'm just moving so fast through Scripture, and so it has its own, it has its own benefits of doing it that way, and so what I've, what I've learned from doing that has, has been to look at a book in in basically one setting, Acts, I covered, uh, I, I felt like it was, um, you know, just a couple days ago, but I'm already up into 2 Corinthians that I read uh, this morning, and so it just moves very, very quickly through books. You get uh, sometimes one or two books in a setting, and, and what that does is it just gives you themes, and it gives you ideas of what's coming out in the text, and, and it gives you Things that get repeated that you don't necessarily understand or pick up on from reading one chapter per day because your day goes on, you've been thinking about something different, and then the next day you read one chapter. But when you're reading, you know, five, six, ten chapters at a time, it's like, boy, they are sure getting persecuted a lot. And boy, they sure get beat up a lot, these poor guys. And boy, they're sure traveling a lot. Boy, they sure have a lot of enemies. And so reading through the book of Acts just reveals a certain level of torture and persecution and hate and the people that reviled them. And yet their constant response is just preaching and the gospel and the rejoicing of the saints and joy. And so as I was thinking of this sermon tonight, I wasn't necessarily thinking of just one text in mind, but really taking the view of the church planters as they went from city to city, sometimes they're there only three weeks, sometimes a couple years in a place, and, and just preaching the gospel over and over. And then it's amazing to see the transformation that Christ brings to entire regions of the country, apparently. That God completely turns the world upside down through, through these completely yielded and surrendered men through the preaching. And some of the themes that we picked up on tonight are not necessarily the theme of Christmas, but like I said, that very first song that we sang tonight was Joy to the World, and, um, and so I want to focus on that aspect of, of what's been brought through the preaching of the apostles, and so we'll just read the end of chapter 13 as an example of what takes place over and over through the book of Acts. So verse number 46 of Acts chapter 13 says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God uh, should first have been spoken to you, but seeing he put it from you and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I've set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women in the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And you see that over and over. Fine, we'll bring the gospel to the next city. And verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for our time together in the Word this evening. And we're thankful that the message never changes, thankful for the Bible that it never changes, thankful for that sermon this morning in Sunday school and in the morning service, that God, it's just, it's, our, our lives are to be about the Bible, and we Christians should be people of the Bible. And I love that emphasis, I love that reminder, and I, I, I want that for myself, I want that for our church and our church family. And so... Uh, God, as we look at the scriptures once again tonight and glory in what your son, what you did for us through your son, um, uh, God, would you just help every believer in here to be uh, stronger in their faith after tonight than they were before they came in. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We had our Christmas party on Friday night and it was all decked out so beautifully. Uh, Miss Joy Beavers came and she came up several days of the week and was decorating. My mom put the whole thing together. My dad built the shed. Uh, uh, I don't know what Christian did. Oh, he put a video together. You know, come on. Uh, but but uh, several of the ladies that were involved in that and cleaning for it and ready, getting set up for that. Well, part of the program of the evening was just to enjoy each other and to enjoy uh, one another and have a good time. And we put a little brochure together that had some trivia while we were sitting around eating our hors d'oeuvres. Then there was some trivia in there that took an opposite approach to the Christmas carol. You were supposed to figure out what the Christmas carol based on the clue, and the clues were all opposites. So did you figure out the first few that were in there? Cacophonous morning was actually what? Silent night. It's opposite, right? Cacophonous, noisy morning, silent night. How about, this was one of my favorites, Henrietta the Blue-Lipped Antelope. Yeah, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, everything's the opposite in there. Uh, What ancient individual was that? What child is this? Disregard the unofficial devil's shriek. Hark, the herald angels sing. Yeah, planetary grief. Joy to the world. Yeah, another clue that it gave was exuberation to this orb. But if we sang it like that, that would be a mouthful. Exuberation to this orb. You know, that's, it flows a lot better with joy to the world. And I like joy to the world a little bit better. And so joy to the world is the first, th- the first Christmas carol that we sang tonight. It's a, uh, a, it carries some wonderful themes to it. But some people are right in saying that it's not necessarily a Christmas carol. I mean, in some ways it is, and tonight is in some ways a defense of joy to the world as a Christmas carol, because what we see through the gospel and through what Jesus did is this reaction, this result of joy that came to the world through Jesus Christ. And when we read read through the book of Acts, we see so many references, and all I did was did a search that uh, took out all of the verses with these words these words in there. So if you got one of these, then it's just simple words like happy. I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Paul's language is 
all about joy. And not just the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Peter and Barnabas and those others. Stephen, when he was there, even being stoned, there was reactions of joy and rejoicing. Uh, 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 under joy there, thou hast made known to me the ways of life that thou mayest me make me full of joy with thy countenance, Acts 8, 8. There was great joy in that city. The reaction to the gospel and the reaction to all this is joy. Acts 13, where we read, uh, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And Acts 15, they were brought on their way by the church. They passed through these cities. In the end of that, they caused great joy unto all the brethren. It was not a drudgery for them to be saved or to come to church or to hear the preaching. Once the preachers came and the, the word was preached to them, their reaction was joy or under rejoice. I'm talking about verse after verse after verse. Acts 15, 31, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Uh, Acts 27, 22, now I exhort you to be of good cheer for there should be no loss of any man's life. But on this ship all the time, Paul is calling people to rejoice and calling people to joy. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for I believe God that it was told to me and, and even to unbelievers and to believers alike. It caused rejoicing in them and the call was to rejoice. Be of good cheer. In this Christmas season, I was taking this and after reading the book of Acts, it's like everything they went to just seems so happy. It seems so joyful. It seems like that they had a word of comfort on their lips. And in this season, isn't that what Christmas just, it just kind of feels comforting? It just comes a fe kind of feels like a joyful season. There's beautiful music playing around and beautiful decorations. Even when you're driving down the road, there's new sparkles of light down the street. And it's joyful and it's exciting. And Brother Schwanky just seemed to be excited by the decorations at the church. And, and, and just looking at something causes some feeling inside of us of rejoicing and joy. And that's wonderful. Uh, under glad therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad more also also my flesh shall rest in hope then they that gladly received his word were baptized and acts 2 46 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. We're talking about these church families that are getting together. And, and we're talking about these, these ones who, where Paul says, such were some of you with these lifestyles of lasciviousness and lust and homosexuality, whom God changed and, and, and you're no longer like that. But now you're a part of this, this body, this family together, and it's joyful. And there's joy in family. There's, there was no joy in your past life, but now you're excited for one another, and you're glad. And in Acts 21, 17, when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and verse after verse after verse of them being glad. As I was reading just the search, when I searched for just these words, joy and rejoice and comfort and glad, and all these verses started popping up. In the search bar, I had the option that I could click on there, and it said expand to uh, uh, the context. And what I would do was look at some of these verses about them rejoicing and about them being glad and about them being comforted. And I would read the context and it was like almost every one of these verses that you click on. If you read the verses around it, you see that they were getting persecuted and that they were getting stoned 
and that they were getting driven out of their cities and that they were getting beaten with rods and that they were getting shoved aside. And it's like, what is the deal with this? They're getting run out of town and, and, and Stephen is here getting stoned and dying and martyred and yet the disciples are joyful. And here in this text that we read, Acts 13, the same thing, over and over, it's like there, were, there was opposition and there were those that would stir up the people of the city to cause this riot, to cause this uproar against the preachers and get them kicked out of the city. And it wasn't like they were so defeated and depressed about it, but they just kind of had purpose and drive in life to shake the dust off their feet and move on to the next city. And the disciples there were just rejoicing to see them. And, and they received them gladly. And, and their, whole, their whole purpose, their whole drive in life was this section on the, on the backside of this page. And I just took out the word preached and figured out which words were, I mean, which verses had the word preached in it. And he shall send Jesus Christ, Acts 3.20. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Acts 4.2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Acts 8.5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And Acts 8.25, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem. Verse uh, uh, 8.35, Philip opened his mouth, began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus, where he was reading the Old Testament in Isaiah, the story there is he just kept on reading in Isaiah and preached unto him Jesus. Verse uh, 40, Acts 8, 40. Philip was found at Azotus, passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Everywhere he went, he was preaching the same message. Skip down to Acts 10, 37. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism uh, which John preached. And all of it is this preaching that is spreading around to the gospel, uh, uh, spreading around to the world, spreading the gospel everywhere they went, that they preached the gospel. And they preached the resurrection. And you, re you reference the rest of those preaching. They preached repentance unto faith. They just preached these doctrines where they preached the scriptures. Paul, at one point, says that I've preached unto you that which I've received from God. And you say, well, he was preaching special and specific revelation, meaning God spoke to the apostles and then they preached to the people. But it wasn't like every time the preacher got up to preach, it was a new outflowing of words of God. No, many times it was not new revelation that Paul was preaching. And, and only the apostles were the ones that were receiving revelation, spiritual messages from God that came out of their mouth that they had not read in Scripture. That's what revelation means. It's a new revealing word of God to the people. Only the apostles um, had that, but it wasn't like every time they preached, they were preaching a new revelation to the people. You know what they did? They just preached the Scriptures. And I love the sermon this morning that our lives are not missing out by not hearing the, the voice of God. Our lives are not missing out because, oh, great, we don't get to hear from the Apostle Paul. He could have spoken a word from God to us. No, no, no. All he did was preach the scriptures mostly. 
He very rarely had new words compared to as much uh, relative to how much he was preaching and how many words were coming out of his mouth. Most of his preaching was expounding the scriptures to the people, to the hearers, and convincing the hearers that this man Jesus, whom you crucified, has risen from the dead. And we read sermons. We read six or seven or eight sermons throughout the book of Acts where it's Paul explaining the scriptures, starting from creation and working through the scriptures to the present time and to the time just before them where they had to realize they were pricked in their heart that our sin, our rejection of Messiah. This Paul is talking about, he's showing from the scriptures that all these scriptures, all these prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in this man, Jesus Christ. And he just preached Jesus Christ. And they were expounding things like, look at Jonah and the whale, this this, the, the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, he just explained the scriptures and connected that to Jesus Christ. The way that Moses lifted up the rod in the wilderness, that is a picture of Jesus Christ. It wasn't as if he was making a new statement to them. He was just showing them that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything you've been reading in the Old Testament. Noah and the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. The story of Ruth and the kinsman redeemer is a picture of Jesus Christ buying us back. The death angel passing over the blood on the doorpost is a picture of Jesus Christ's blood and the, and, and the punishment that passes over you. The ram caught in the thicket, God would provide himself a sacrifice. That sacrifice that Abraham made. You know the Bible stories, the preaching said. You know the Bible stories. All of those are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice of, of, of the atonement, the day of atonement where they sacrificed the lamb and brought that into the most holy place, that was satisfied in Jesus Christ when the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. The scarlet cord in Jericho is Jesus Christ. Every one of those is a picture of Jesus Christ, and all the apostles did was put the puzzle pieces together. Our Christmas book that we, that we put together a couple years ago, my sister-in-law, Anna, uh, uh, illustrated that. And she illustrated several different puzzle pieces of Bible stories, like, like Jonah and the whale and these others that we mentioned here. And all of those are put onto a different puzzle piece and kind of scattered around the page like that. But in the middle of the puzzle piece, it's like those pieces are building one big picture of Jesus Christ. And all the apostles were doing was saying, look, this is, this is the stories you know, but they're just a puzzle piece that fit into a bigger picture. And this bigger picture is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he called them to repentance, and he called them to believe in the resurrection, and called them to believe in the gospel. And if they rejected it, that was on them, and those that received it were added to the churches, and that's how the churches were grown. Now, without all that preaching of Jesus Christ produced in them, this next section, I, I, I just took a few verses out on the word hope. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope. 
Believing in Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all those puzzle pieces produces in me this level of hope that I have for my present and my future. The fact that my life is anchored in something that has been prophesied for centuries and even millennia that we've been waiting for this and he's now here. These apostles are spreading all over the Middle East and all over uh, uh, Eastern Europe and all over Southern Europe and all over Northern Africa and they're spreading all over the place with the gospel and maybe as far over as, as India and all that, that, that region in there, basically to all the known world at that time, spreading the message that this man, Jesus, is the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for. And those that believed reacted like this. When Paul perceived, Acts 23, 6, that the one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. I've been preaching this message of hope and resurrection and 24, 15, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And here's verse after verse after verse of Paul saying, I'm not only preaching repentance like you're so bad if you've done these sins and, and, and you've got to repent and, and it's just a new lifestyle. No, it's a, it's a life change of hope that now I have something to live for. Now I have some purpose. Now there's a future. When John, I mean, when Isaac Watts was living in his day, he Listen to the music of his day, and it was like there was no hope, there was no joy, there was no emotion, there was no satisfaction in what they were singing. It was just a rote songs that they were singing. And so he began writing hymns in this day. He said this, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalm is on their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. It might, even, it might even tempt somebody that is trying to be nice to say, I don't think they really believe this. And he said there's got to be this, these songs that can move people to actually believe this. And so he started writing hymns by his father's encouragement Son, if you don't like what's, what's there, then start writing new ones that are better. And so he, he started writing some of the most beloved hymns that we had, This Joy to the World, is one of those, uh, those carols that he wrote. And yet, like I said, some people would say it's not necessarily a Christmas song because it speaks of the whole earth. Let earth receive her king. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Well, I don't think that's exactly happened yet. I don't know if you've been on the campus of a high school or a, a college recently. Their hearts are not receiving their king. They're, they want nothing to do with God. You, you know that from coworkers. And it's like, well, um, when Jesus Christ came, yeah, he warned us of that. Even in the Old Testament, he was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised. And, and we esteemed him not. And so, did Isaac, did Isaac Watts get it wrong when he said, I, I'm, I'm excited about this day where every heart is open to Jesus Christ? Because I don't think we're there yet. No, what he's doing is anticipating this future when the Bible says God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess 
to the glory of God the Father, of things uh, uh, in earth and things under the earth. There is coming a day when every knee will bow to God, and that's the joyful day that Isaac Watts is, is writing about. Both heaven and earth and nature will sing out as this day of, of crowning their creator as king. Now, we know the song, this, this song is about Christ's second coming, um, verse 3 in that Christmas carol talks about sins and sorrows being no more. Let, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Um, but, but earth doesn't have that level of peace right now. Nation shall rise against nation, Jesus said. Kingdom against kingdom. This peace that he's talking about will not come until the millennial reign of Christ when he brings peace on the earth, and that's what Isaac Watts is rejoicing in. Joy to the world is coming, but it's not here just yet. The third verse of that, of that carol says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. We've been learning on Wednesday nights that the Catholic Church took that mentality of saying, well, we've got to force God's kingdom onto the earth right now and we'll spread by the sword throughout all the lands and we'll force Religion on everybody, Catholicism on everybody, and that's how God's kingdom will be ushered in. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture, and yet this is all future for us. There will be a day when He rules the world with truth and grace, and that's what we're looking forward to. That, I believe, is what these apostles are preaching, the hope of the resurrection. The hope that we can hold on to, that there is hope for this life and hope in the life to come. So you say, okay, then why is this... A Christmas song. Well, obviously, that joy had to start somewhere. The joy to the world had to come to the world at some point, And the joy had to come, and it did come through a baby. Through the incarnation of God himself coming down to our world and becoming flesh. And hark the herald angel says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. We're talking about deity who has become flesh and incarnated into flesh, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him is not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and this life was, um, uh, was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, the darkness comprehended the, the, them not. John 1, 9 says, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Verse 14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, God with us, our Emmanuel. We beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so for us to sing joy to the world at Christmas time is, I still believe it's appropriate, because that joy had to come to the world at some point through the baby, through the first coming of Jesus Christ. And Christmas is just that joyful season where we're rejoicing in Jesus Christ coming to us and allowing us the opportunity to be brought into that. This, this faith that we have in Jesus Christ is the joy that has come to the world. This faith that we place in believing Him without seeing Him is this idea that my joy, my hope, my faith is in something that is real. And, and, and my joy then, the joy to the world, is not anchored in my circumstances. 
I mean, just like the apostles all throughout the book of Acts, if you expand all of these verses of joy and hope and comfort and happy and rejoicing, if you expand them all out and check out what did they go through, what did they have to endure, did they, did they, get, did they get Disneyland tickets, did they get a nice family home, did they get something given to them, what gave them so much joy and rejoicing, what is it about their lives that caused so much joy, and it wasn't about any of the trappings of life, it was all about Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a typical Sunday school answer, I know. But Jesus really is the answer to everything. Amen. And, and I, I'm not meaning for that to be cliche. As we've been studying through the book of Colossians in our rooted class, it's come up over and over and over again that, that I can't do better than preaching Jesus Christ. I'll never improve on the message of Jesus Christ as the source of our joy, as the source of our hope. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. That's it. And anchoring my life to Jesus Christ will be so much more satisfying and answer every question I have about atheism and about, uh, about all these other world religions that are out there and about suicidal thoughts and about depression and about anxiety and about all these things that, that, that you know what, my life needs to be so much about Jesus Christ. I think some people wrap their joy around around things that are not Jesus Christ, and it proves to them over and over that this is not satisfying. Even something as good as my family is not even as satisfying as Jesus Christ himself. When my joy, when my family is my source of joy, my family will come up empty. When my health, that, I mean, I'm a joyful person because I'm just, I'm just really healthy and I can charge through life. If your health is your thing that is your source of joy, then it's in the wrong place. If your kid's health is your source of joy, then what happens when you lose your kid's health? Will your joy be affected or not? I know that's a painful thought to even have to go through. Or you say, how dare you say that I'm, uh, I'm not a joyful person. I'm, I have circumstances outside my limits and my child's health is, is just destroying me. Friend, I say on the authority of the word of God that that, not, that ought not so to be. And I'm not saying that angrily, I'm not saying that mean, I'm not even saying that uh, uh, like I know what I'm talking about, because it's not like I've had to experience all kinds of hardships in my life. But I will say that every time you look at Scripture and you connect rejoicing, it's always connected to Jesus Christ despite circumstances. The New Testament was written in persecution. Every one of, pretty much every one of these letters and most of the writers of the Bible, almost all of them except for John, they were all martyred and killed for their faith. And we're learning on Wednesday nights of those who have, who have, who have given everything. They've given their lives. We're learning about teenage girls who have given their lives because they would not surrender to the Roman Catholic torture or being burned at the stake or being gouged by animals. Or they would not surrender their faith to something as cheap as just renouncing it for their own personal comfort. You know, like life, like living. And to say, well, that's, I, I, I could do that. I could have joy if I was in that situation, if I was tied to a stake. Well, you know, not if, you know, my house was 65 degrees and I'm cold and I'm suffering for Jesus, you know. And then and I'm being tortured. And God, why don't you take away this thorn out of my flesh, you know. My heater's broken. And I don't know what level of, of, uh, of discomfort it takes to sap your joy. But if your joy is in anything besides Jesus Christ, 
then once that is removed, you'll realize exactly where your joy is. If it's in finances, maybe God brings something to knock something out of your finances and you realize, whoa, was my joy in the security that I found because I have a healthy bank account? And now that that's gone, where is my joy? My career was going a certain direction, and boy, that took a left turn, but am I still, do I have anything to rejoice about right now? Do I have Jesus Christ to rejoice about, or was my joy focusing on that I had this track, and I was doing good, and I was financially secure? My joy was wrapped up in my career or in Jesus Christ, and those are those heart gut-wrenching questions you have to ask yourself. Where is the source of my joy? Is the source of my joy the outcome of my children? Because they don't seem to be turning out right and I seem to be spinning my wheels and I don't know if I can be joyful because this has happened. Is the source of my joy in my marriage and I'm, you know, I'm struggling right now and so I don't, I don't know, you don't have the right to tell me to be joyful. Well, if I don't have that right, then, then the scripture has no right to, you have no right to read the scripture and saying they were joyful in persecution. If your source of joy is in anything besides Jesus Christ, then it's going to come up short every single time. My joy is not in some ability that I have. Boy, I hope people like this sermon tonight, or I won't be joyful. My joy is not in that. If you're a great cook, your joy is not in whether people like your food. I mean, that's a wonderful byproduct. On Thanksgiving, everybody's enjoying your spread. But if your joy is sapped because somebody doesn't like it or somebody says something mean, to wrap your joy in that, for, for our rooted class, for them to wrap their joy in a relationship that they're hoping will fulfill them, for a young mom to wrap their joy in the performance of their kids or a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, or, or for somebody following the news and following, uh, um, you know, just, just so much that you read out there on the news and a politician and, and, and your joy is wrapped up in politics. Oh, goodness, you're never going to have joy. <laughs> or ideas that are out there and nobody's catching on to my ideas. I just wish they would and it's not working out. And you'll be like Greta Thunberg, you know, going around lecturing and scolding everybody because all her lectures on climate change, nobody's really buying it. And everyone, her life, if you've seen the pictures of her, she's always got that scowl, a little 16-year-old Scandinavian girl that came here and just yelling at everybody about climate change and you're destroying the earth. And it's like, boy, what a sad existence. What a terrible, terrible life. To have to go through that, that your whole life is consumed with whatever, whatever blinders you have on, that this is the thing that's controlling me. If it's not Jesus Christ, it's going to drive you crazy. That's going to be the thing that drives you crazy if your identity is wrapped up. And we see this in the statistics for uh, uh, you know, uh, transsexual people who are saying, boy, I feel like a girl, so I need to change into a girl. And once people accept me as a girl, then I'll be this. Their identities are all wrapped up in something that they are not. We look at that and say, boy, just, just acknowledge who you are and wrap your, wrap your identity up in the right person. And as Christians, we know that's in Jesus Christ. And we say, that's, that's good for everybody out there, but I have this one stronghold. Man, if there's anything that's sapping your joy, then that's on us. 
And that's not a hard, I mean, that's not an easy thing for me to say because I know there's struggles all over this room. And I can look into eyes and say that I know the story behind your life. I know the stress that's been going on. And I know that there are levels of, of, of horrible circumstances of life. I've realized that. I'm not speaking blindly up here as if I don't know anybody in this room. I realize there are circumstances that just are a gut punch and take the wind right out of your sails. But if your joy was wrapped up in something in your past or something in your present, rather than in Jesus Christ, then I'm just calling you to be scriptural and say, you know what, my joy needs to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Because the natural outflow of that, apparently from scripture, the natural outflow of my eyes being fixated on Jesus Christ is happy and joy and rejoicing and comfort and glad. Despite the circumstances, despite what my parents are, what my husband is, what my wife is, what my kids are. Despite that, they are not my joy, but Jesus Christ is. In my Bible reading just this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, if you'd go there. 2 Corinthians 4. Jesus Christ sent joy to the world. He calms our fears. He meets our needs. He hears our prayers. He loves us unconditionally. Jesus Christ is my joy. He knows me. He has the hairs of my head numbered. And you do too. You know, he sees under the skin. And he knows the hairs that are on my head. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you and he loves you and he cares for you. That is joy to the world. That is joy coming to you through your faith in Jesus Christ. And that has nothing to do with what's going on in your life. That has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's a man whose whole life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, <clears throat> But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. Oh, sure, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus 
might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. The things that destroy our bodies and hurt our bodies, Paul says, those can be turned into manifesting Jesus Christ through the terrible circumstances. And the joy that comes out of that are not the things that trouble and distress and tear you down and destroy you. But Paul says, despite circumstances, these things are part of me. Look, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, oh, the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The temporal things of life will pass. Anchoring my life to Jesus Christ is what's eternal. That's what's important. That's what matters. Stand if you would, please. Let's have a word of prayer as we have this invitation time. Just to... A chance to say, God, where is the source of my life? Where is the source of my joy? Let's sing 440.